0: And I finally decided, man, Psalm 63 has to be it, uh, because it's been lately so powerful for me. In fact, our church staff, we were on a retreat in uh, in April, I believe. And we spent a good morning just walking through each one of these verses and talking about it. And uh, it was really convicting and inspiring, and so I wanted to, to talk about that this morning. So let's turn Psalm 63... And I'm just going to read the. It's 11 verses. I'll read it, and then we're going to take it and start breaking it down, just uh, verse by verse. So, Psalm 63, verse 1: "O oh God, you are my God; earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you; my flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the in the sanctuary." Man, do you catch it? David is is talking from this deep place of this this driving passion and motivation to know his God, not a God, not the God, but but His God. I don't know how big you are in the personality test. Uh, early in our marriage, Terry and I figured out that it was it was really helpful to kind of figure out who she is and for her to understand who I am. We were we were struggling bad, and then this couple came along and said, "Hey, you know what?" We, do a little marriage counseling with you guys, and we said, Oh, well, yeah, we probably need it. And one of the first things they did is a, a personality test, and we stepped back and went, Oh, and like I'm expecting that you're gonna see things the same way that I do, and you're expecting that from me. And we are radically different people, and I kind of like you being different. And it just took a little while for us to get our mind around that. And so, I've always kept up with personality tests, and in the last couple years. Actually, some folks in this room have uh, brought the Enneagram up, which you may have seen some of it. And it's been really helpful in, in kind of a different way because at the heart of it, it's talking about what is that deep motivation? What is that thing that drives you? And what is that fear that you have down in there that makes you do the things that you do that you're trying to, you know? And I, and I think there's a, a deeper level of understanding who I am and these things that from my past and my makeup that, that drive me to do the things that I do. And then I read this, and I look at, at David, and it seems like there's this even stronger drive, you know, even above his fear or against his fear, and, and, it's, and it's making him do the things that he does, you know, and the way that he views life. Look at it. He says, oh, God, you are my God. He, uh, he says, God, you are, you are very personal to me. And there's something about when you move something from something that you just say, hey, I see that, and I believe that it's true, to the point that you look at and you say, I own this. You know. To say there is a God, and I believe that, and to say he is, he is my God are two very different things. And you may remember when that became true for you, or maybe it hasn't become true for you yet, that there is a God, but you haven't made it really personal. But there's a radical difference. I am not licensed in any way, but I do cut hair. I, I cut my own hair, and that's pretty easy. Obviously, I've been doing that for a while, and uh, I did at one point have a little bit longer on top, and I learned how how to learn how to look in the mirror with a you know and kind of figure out how to fade it up where it was where it was a good smooth fade, and um, and so uh, when I got in college, I, guys would come to the dorm room, and I know this is probably crazy illegal, but I would cut everybody's hair, and I got really good at, at doing the fade, and like if they wanted lines or things like that, I could, I could do some stuff, man. I got to where I was pretty good at it, or at least worth the $2 they paid me, right? And, uh, and so then when we started having boys, it was a no-brainer. Like, you know, we weren't going to go to a barber because I could just cut their hair. Now, Jack, the other day, when we first started cutting his hair, he was like, no, Daddy, I don't want hair like yours, because he thought <laughs> if I cut it... That was the only thing I could do, and it took me a little bit to convince him. No, Jack, I promise. Look at your brothers. I didn't, I didn't shave their head. I can, I can do this and make it look good. I, I still don't think he's bought in every time I bring it up. Like, he needs a haircut now, and I start to get the clippers out. He's kind of like, ah, Dad. Um But I got pretty good at cutting it, but it, there'll be these times, inevitably, that I'm gone, or the clippers are broken, or something happens, and, and one of the boys goes to a, to a barber. And while that barber has skills that I don't have and training that I don't have, and while that barber has tools that I don't have and can do some things that I can't do, it's always funny to me because the boys will come home and there'll be something off. You know, there'll be like a a, a hair that just got missed. You wouldn't catch it, you know, but, but, but there's a hair that's off. You see, as their daddy... I, I kind of own that, and like I, I'm real meticulous about it, and I, I look over it 20 times and make sure everything's perfect and the fade is just right and it's the same on all sides because I, I own it. They're my, they're my children, and I don't want them to go to school and get made fun of, right? I don't want them to have one stray hair sticking out the side. And so I just take a greater level of, of interest than just your normal barber who cut 40 hairs that day. You know, 40 heads that day didn't... They don't take the same interest because they don't own it. David says here... God, you are you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as a dry and weary land where there is no water. And I'll take some water as I say that. You know, I don't know that we have any idea what it looks like to be thirsty. You may, there may have been some time in your life where you were without water for days on end, and you know what it means to come to the end of yourself. A few, I guess a couple years ago now, I told a story about my worst time with that where I went on a hike and I had Caleb with me and I was carrying him on my back and I'm chronically dehydrated and so I really found out that day that I kind of came to the end of myself and if I hadn't, if a buddy hadn't thrown me an algae in the water that day, it felt like I was going to be in a bad place. And I was talking about this while I was on this trip and one of the guys said, man, I know what you're talking about and he told a story that was so much worse than mine. He was a guy from Arkansas, and he was at a a trail not far from here. And he said, I started out, and I just had a little bit of water, but I brought the filter and everything so that when I got to a creek, I could just filter the water and have some drinking water. Problem was, I didn't see a creek. I didn't see a stream. Nothing, nothing, nothing. I get to the place that I'm going to camp. It gets dark. I camp without water. I get up the next day, and he said, I know I'm in trouble, and I'm lurking and I'm moving fast because i got to get to water, and I can't find it, and I can't find it, and I can't find it. And he said, Mark, I was, I was in pain. Like, I don't know what's going to happen here. And when I finally saw a little stream, I ran over as quick as I could and just dove out face first and just started drinking, not worried about whether it was filtered or if I'd get sick or not. I had to have water. David knows what this is like. He's been in those places. And when he says, my soul thirsts for you, God. I am desperate for you. I need you so bad. And the only words I can use to describe it is what it feels like to be totally without water and your body start to shut down. That's how desperate I am for you, God. So he says, I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. The way that he's going to fill this tank, this emptiness and this desperate need, is he's going to find a place where he can look and behold and think deeply about and connect with his God. And that connection with God fills him up. That empty place, that brokenness, that deep need. The way that he fills it up is to connect with his God and to think deeply to beholding him, his power and his glory. He says, because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. Your steadfast love is better than life. When I say life for you, what is that? What all does that encompass? I think for David, he's saying, whatever you want to put on this side of the scales, whatever people find life and joy in, whatever they do with their time, whatever those things are that you might say, hey, this is life, whether it's relationships, whether it's activities, whether it's things, whatever you want to say, this constitutes my life, my time, my energy, my money, my, my life. And then you put my my God on this side, he says, your love, your steadfast love is better than all of that added together. To me, I want this Worse than that. You know, as I start started to look through this, I can't think of anything other. David sounds like an addict. Really. I mean he 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 can't hardly stand it. He he wants to be with his God so bad and he's realized. He's tasted and seen how incredible he is, and everything else pales in comparison, and he sounds like an addict. I want you this bad. I would give up everything for you. It's like I'm dying of thirst, and I need you. It's like I'm hungry, and, I, and I'm starving, and I need you. It's you, 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 you're on the scale, and your weight and your glory puts everything else to shame. So he says, verse 4. I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. Now lifting up your hands, you know. I, I don't know how much you've been around different places. There, sometimes in here on you know on a Sunday, there'll be some folks, me sometimes that that we raise our hands. The first time I was around that in a church, I really didn't know what to do with it. Like, why are people putting their hands up in there? air? What happened? We're not, we're not asking any questions. Why? Why are everybody raising their hands? And then, um, and then I started to feel like, man, I, there's this part of me that I want to raise my hands, but what does that even mean? Like, am I, am I reaching up to try to touch God? Like, I'm singing to him. I'm trying to get as close to him as I can be. And then finally I realized, and this I know this can be different for a lot of us, but, but for me, I finally realized what that meant is I'm putting my hands in the air as surrender. You know, you got me. I'm done. I got nothing. I give up. And I'm I'm giving myself over to you. And as I sing these words, that's what I'm doing. I I surrender. And um, you know I've never been in a spot where I had to put my hands in the air. Somebody was trying to come after me. But I have played paintball. <laughs> and we played last December with a bunch of guys that were really good. And I found out I already kind of knew it because it had happened the last time that I tried to play, play play paintball. But this time it happened really bad. That I'm just not good at it, y'all. I, what I do is the aggressive part of me just wants to come out, guns blazing, pop, 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 pop. And in, in my mind, that's going to end well. Like, I'm going to, like, pop, 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 and, and, you know, do the thing. And what always happens is, pop, pop, and people don't stop either. Like, they shoot you once, and then they just decide, all right, now we're just going to unload on him. So he just, you know. And so the guy that's doing the paintball thing, he says, put your gun in the air and surrender, and that way everybody will know not to shoot you. Now, do people not shoot you when you got your hands in the air? They're not supposed to, and the nice people don't. But then those guys, those shysters that like to clean house, you know, they just start to unload on you. But, but I, I surrender. I'm done. I, I, I've been shot. I'm out of the game. I got nothing. I surrender. David says, I lift my hands to you. I will bless you as long as I live, as as many days as you give me. This is the way that I'm going to live my life, with my hands up and surrender to you, because I've I've tasted and seen how incredible you are. My soul, verse 5, will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. My soul will be satisfied with fat and rich food. Now, this uh, just happened for me, so I can speak of it from uh, current experience. I love Indian food, and it is really, really heavy. The gravies that are full of ghee and butter and all the stuff, and there was one day on this trip, I also like Thai food in India because they just do those curries so well, but they're so heavy, and it just ended up one day that it was one curry after another curry. There was this dal makhani that that you can have that's just, oh, it's so thick. It's like the thickest fettuccine Alfredo you've ever had, you know, it's just full and rich and I don't normally eat things like that but when I'm in India I do because the spices are so incredible and it's got just enough heat and it's just so awesome and I just can't stop the third or fourth help and I'm like this isn't good but I'm not gonna get to eat this back home so I might as well make the most of it while I got a little bit so I always come back like 10 pounds heavier most people go to a place like that and lose weight I go and gain weight and there was one day that it was like meal after meal after meal heavy 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 and I finished that day Fat and happy. (laughs) Y'all know when y'all eat that home soul food, like, and it's just thick and greasy and, you know, it's like, I I went to bed that night. I didn't have any trouble sleeping. I nodded right off and I just had a smile on my face, you know. (laughs) This 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 is just good. David says, that's what it feels like. That that's how good you are. When I spend time with you, when I get to know you, God, when we're together, it fills me up like fatty, rich soul food, you know? Like I just had a bunch of fried chicken. And I I feel full. And and he says, full of joy. That's one of the things that that reoccurs in this passage and really reoccurs in the Psalms is this this joy. David's like, man, I'm an addict. When I'm with you, it fills me up with, with joy, And my mouth will praise you with with joyful lips, not just happy lips. He's in a crazy, tough circumstance all through the Psalms. That's what what you got. You got somebody that's in a bad spot, and they're like, no, but I still have joy in the midst of this because that's how incredible you are. He says, when I remember you on my bed and meditate on you through the watches of the night. You know, I had a friend one time that told me that you could tell what you were really about by two things one what you would what you would do without getting paid for it like you just you just do that cuz it's you enjoy it so much and you're so much a part of it that you know you would do it without even getting paid and then the other thing is what would keep you up all night talking about it and whoever you're with would just have to say hey man shut up and go to bed like <laughs> it's late but you're still wanting to talk because you've got so much passion for it david says I meditate on you and think about you through the, w- the watches of the night. What keeps you up late at night thinking? You know, I am. I'm jet lagging pretty bad right now, and I've been waking up in the middle of the night. And what keeps me awake, what, what prevents me from going back to sleep? I start spinning on something that I'm worried about, something that I'm afraid of. David says, I'm, I'm awake at night thinking about how incredible my God is, and it fills my heart with joy. And I don't want to go to sleep because there's joy in my heart because I'm connecting with you and meditating on you in the, in the through the watches of the night. That means the, the late night, the early morning hours. It's beautiful. Verse 7, you have been my, my help. And in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. Here we go again. I will I will sing for joy in the shadow of your wings. And in uh, just recent kind of walking through these psalms, this is another reoccurring theme, this, this word picture, under the shadow of his wings. Now think about that for a second. Under the shadow of his wings, that safe place in his care. Doesn't mean that right outside of that ring, in fact, it, it, it probably means even more that right outside that wing, that it's craziness. But David says, but I'm safe Right next to you. You know, we were doing that Sabbath series. I, I, I told you guys we, we took the twins to the zoo in Tulsa. And one of the things that happened, that normally those animals are all like, you know, so frustrating. You go to the zoo and, you know, you want to see the tiger, but the tiger's not there. You want to see the grizzly, but the grizzly's gone somewhere else. The only things you see are the squirrels. You're like, I, I could have seen this back home. Well, this day, for whatever reason, I don't know if they all shot him full of a bunch of, I don't know, they all drank Cokes that morning or something, but the animals were fired up and running around. And we went to the tiger, and there was this massive tiger, and there was this glass, and all the kids, my kids, are standing next to this glass, and here's this huge tiger, and he's just pacing back and forth, pacing back and forth, kind of, you know, mauling at the the window, licking it, you know, his teeth are just all, and I'm like, man. I mean, like Jack's like up with his nose on the glass, and he, and the tiger's licking the glass on the other side. I mean, there's, there's that tiger's that far from his face. And there was a little bit of hesitancy in me, but I'm like, well, that, but you know, that that glass is tough. Surely they didn't put in. But it was like it's right there, that crazy big tiger. And it feels like part of this joy that David has is, man, he, yeah, the the storm is raging, and the tiger's there. But he's under the shadow of, of his God. Not a God, not the God, but his God's wing. And it's good. And he has joy. Then he says, my soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. My soul clings to you. What time in your life do you remember cling, clinging to something? I, uh, I tried to take up whitewater for a while, a whitewater kayaking. and I wasn't very good at it and almost died several times, so I finally figured out, man, I probably just need to let this thing go. But the main reason it was like that is because the guy that was trying to teach me, he just, like, he just said, oh, you'll be all right. You know, right. It'd be something really big, and I'd be like, man, I think this is dangerous. And he's like, oh, you're tough. You'll be all right. Well, one day, he takes me to this river, and there had been a lot of rain, and when we got there, I could see the water like out of the banks into the trees, and I said, you know... I mean, I, at that point, I had read enough to know that this was already a dangerous, dangerous river, and now it was up. And he said, oh, it'll be fine. He said, just watch out for that first curve because there's a keeper. So if you, if you don't know much about how rivers work, so if sometimes the water will pile up, and it's strong, the current's so strong that the water is just doing this. And if you get caught in that in a whitewater kayak, it'll just hold you. It'll just keep you. And uh, so he said, make sure you paddle away from that. Well, I went first, boop, 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 right into the keeper. You know, so here I am. And it's just spinning me, you know. I'm just—it's just spinning me, and I'm going under the water and out of the water, under the water, out of the water, under the water, right up next to this rock. And I'm like, man, this is like—I don't know, you know. (sighs) And finally, I grab a hold of the rock, and I just cling to it. And I'm still in the boat because I'm afraid to get out of the boat because I'm afraid I'll go under and be—you know—keep me. So I'm just like holding on to the to the rock, and I'm clinging for all of my life, and. Luckily, about the time that I'm about to lose my grip, this guy had gotten out of his boat and gone up to shore and came over the rock and stuck his hand down and pulled me out. But I was holding on to that rock for dear life because I thought I was done. And it feels like that's what David's saying here. My soul clings to to, to you, your right hand. That's the thing that upholds me. I got no hope unless I hold on tight death grip to you. When I was about 10, I I went to spend the night at a friend's house, and the next morning we got up, and his mama made chocolate gravy. Anybody had chocolate gravy? If you haven't had chocolate gravy, I apologize, and we need to correct this for you, because what happened to me is she made chocolate gravy, and one bite I went, what? I got out a piece of paper and and a pen, and I said, ma'am, would you please write down all of the directions of how you make this and then I got home and no joke I walked in and on the counter I slammed it in front of my mom and I said mom why hadn't this been happening (laughs) this stuff is incredible man I've been missing out all this time I had tasted and seen that this chocolate gravy is incredible and now I want it. in fact I might want it every morning Like that's that's how good this stuff is you know this this picture that David says of this desperation and this the first time we kind of worked through it, and when I worked with it, through, it with, through it with the staff, it was very convicting, like, man, he's saying some things here that I don't know that I can say from my heart. But this morning, y'all, I, I don't feel this as much of a, as of a rebuke, as an invitation. This is the kind of relationship that God wants to have with you. This is the result of it. It's better than life. It's, it's more satisfying than fatty foods. It's more fulfilling than when you're, when you're dying of thirst and you get a drink. He wants to protect you under the shadow of his wing and fill you up with joy. That's what he wants with you. You. So we're going to take a few minutes here. We've actually planned uh, ahead to have one extra song here at the end so that we can take maybe an extra moment and really do what he said, behold his power and his glory and how much he loves you, his steadfast love is better than life so take a second and, and think deeply about it, you know as always we've got communion that you could take in the back and, uh, and places that you could pray back there um, there's folks that would like to pray with you about it what it looks like for you in these next few minutes and then here in a few weeks, we've got this, this shirt. We've, uh, we're starting a series where we're going to study acts called We Will. And uh, that's how we're going to launch the fall. And what that's going to look at is how we do this unified, how individually we connect with him, we're devoted to him, and then as one unit, then we come together, and he wants to do incredible things in us and through us. But step one is you <laughs> he wants to take a lot of people who are individually devoted and connected to him. And then when you put those people together and unify it's 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 uh, there's no telling what he can do, so why don't you take a few minutes and whatever it looks like for you, make the most of of these next three songs all right let me pray, Father, I love you and I know that your love is better than life. I know that that's true, and I also know that I get distracted and looking at a lot of the things in my life and i um I just give them way too much attention. I give them way too much of my heart. I, uh, I let the fears overwhelm me. I let my joy uh, get left behind as I, as I let things grow up and be bigger in my life than my devotion to you. And I'm asking you this morning that you would revive in me, remind me how incredible you are. And, Father, that this moment, that this week, that... Um, that these things that David said in the psalm would start to be things that that I could say in the shadow of your wings, I could sing for joy. To your glory. Amen.